Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Athelflaed of Damarum! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. Mm-hmm. And there we were just discussing the pronunciation of Athol Flad's surname? <laughs> yes. <laughs> of! <laughs> yeah, Damarum. It's, uh, it's in, I believe it's a village in Hampshire. She looks quite, uh, well, it looks like, if you imagine an English village. And mm. that's what it looks like. Okay. Da- so, but what is it? Damaham? Damaham? Damaram. Hmm. We'll but go with Damaram, shall we? We're going with Damaram, but okay. I'm not 100% sure. Um, if you know how to pronounce that word, then get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod. Like us on the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page. Email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. And if you really like what you're hearing, you can join the Privy Council by donating monthly to get some bonus content and help us keep on podcasting. Help set the history free, chaps. Biography. So, Ethelfled of Damarum we mm. are doing today. Like last time when we did Elfgifu of Shaftesbury, this is going to be one which is not particularly strong on biographical detail. <laughs> That's such a nice way of saying it, <laughs> yeah. Okay. There is no content this week, chaps. <laughs> we got a little bit of, of uh, extra sort yeah. of... Saxony stuff that we'll talk about afterwards like but as ever what we do know about her we will reveal and then we will review her as best we can okay so Ethelfed of Damarum is born we don't know when always yep. probably sometime in the 920s okay. early 920s she's the daughter of Elfgar the Elderman of Essex oh Essex girl and his wife <laughs> yeah Okay, uh, so she's from Essex, or is he, he just a lord of Essex? Uh, he's a, yeah, sort of lord of, he's sort of pr- probably own vast mm. swathes of territories, but, you know, a rich and powerful man, okay. which is good, but certainly he's got Essex properties. Yeah, and we haven't met any of these characters before yet? Uh, well, that particular chap we've not met before yet, Okay, but there may be some familiar names mm. as the episode goes on. She is the second consort of Edmund I. Remind me. So, last time we did Elfgur of Shaftesbury, who was his first consort, he is the younger brother of Athelstan, was effectively raised as Athelstan's heir. Yeah. So, he's with him at uh, Brunenburg, and he comes to the throne after Athelstan, 18 years old. He's finally, there's no succession crisis. He's the one everyone acknowledges. And he has a wife called... And he did have a wife, Elfgur of Shaftesbury, has a couple of sons by her, Edwin mm. and Edgar. Oh, she dies. But she dies, yeah. and then became a saint. Yeah, whose career path, yeah. Which is quite an act to follow, really. Mm-hmm. Wife number two, and the previous one album. became a saint, yeah. yeah. Um, now, we don't have any contemporary likenesses mm. of Ethelflaed of Damarum, so if you are inspired to uh, create an image for us to replace the absent Heritage Limited playing cards, then send in your hashtag consult cards to all our various social media, and it'd be great at the end of the series, you can put them all together. Yeah. Have a new playing Have pack. a new playing stack card pack 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 stack pack deck mm. deck 
Ethelthvard of Damrum. As we said, the daughter of Elfgar, the Earldman of Essex, a wealthy and powerful figure, but he doesn't have any sons. Oh, dear. The man mm. who has everything. Uh, so instead, he's got two daughters, Ethelthvard and Elfled. Uh, confusingly for you, if you recall, two names we've previously had in the podcast. No. That's fine then. <laughs> They're okay. brand new. Brand new names, yeah. <laughs> brand new to you. Um, and they are his heiresses. Mm-hmm. So they're going to inherit his money, his lands, his property, mm. all that sort of stuff. So they are um, sought after people. Very much sought after. And Ethelfled probably is the eldest mm. and thus potentially got the pick of the crop. Um, it's not clear at what point his daughters were named as his heirs and whether it's before Ethelfled marries Edmund mm. and thus he, Edmund thinks, well, this is an ideal match. Yeah. Very, very wealthy. Or if Edmund thinks, well, this chap doesn't have any sons and he's got a daughter, I'll marry her and then say, excuse me, Mr. Elfgar, I think uh, maybe you want to leave all your land to your daughter. Good plan. Not entirely clear when he planned yeah. to do that. I think the will that we have for him is after the marriage. Yeah. Or at a similar time, but he may well already have been planning to do that. Because, you know, he might have been facing some kind of intervention or interference in his lands if he doesn't make some kind of settled, some kind of settlement. Mm. Well, uh, will, so. uh, might we, are we to think that perhaps sort of some uh, uh, court decisions might not go his way? Maybe. Is it a bit gangstery? Yes, and I'm also not 100% sure exactly when he became Earldman of Essex. So he oh. may actually have been a prominent, powerful individual yeah. who then got an extra little leg up when his daughter marries the king. It's sort of win-win, though, isn't it? Because if she marries the king, mm. uh, he knows that his daughter has a much better chance at life. Yeah. And he's got to pay for that with all that he has. Mm. But he's dead anyway, so... And, right. and potentially his heirs may one day be ruling the country. Yeah, so, so it's a good sale. Exactly. Uh, his other daughter, Elfled, marries a man called Britnoth. I know that name. You do know that name. Britnoth. Britnoth. Oh, Malden. Of the Battle of Malden fame. No. Indeed. Ah, uh, really chivalric idiot. Indeed. So he will actually go on to become uh, Earldman of Essex in future as well, after his father-in-law, Elfgar. So, uh, Britnoth, we know about because he ultimately ends up leading the Saxons of the Battle of Mould and becomes a very, very prominent individual. But yeah. He's prominent from this point onwards because he is Edmund I's brother-in-law. Right. Okay, Rex Fact. I mean, you've definitely told me this before. I'm not sure if we would have done, actually. Even talking about Britnoth? We might not have mentioned him until he kind of became a bit more prominent mm. closer to Battle of Molden time. Yeah. Because he was quite old then, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. He's got so as I say, we're in the 940s here, so it's mm. 50 years away from the Battle of Molden. Wow, he's got a William the Marshall edge, didn't he? Yeah, he does. So we've got Ethelfled and her sister have now both made marriages. Elfled to Britnoth, who are going to be a very powerful Erdemann, oh, yeah. and Ethelfled, of course, the pick of the bunch, married to Edmund I. And as you said, in terms of why Edmund wants to marry her, she's a wealthy heiress. She'll have lots and lots of land, which mm. is all very nice. Mm. He's also a young man. He's probably about sort of 23, something like that. He got two sons from his first marriage, but his father... Pressure's off. Got the pressure off, but equally his father, Edward the Elder, recall, had three wives and loads of children. Mm, didn't help, though, did it? Well, it was good for him, because it meant that, ultimately, mm. he'd got the long-term dynasty secured. But, you know, maybe Edmund wants to do that as well. It's the start of, mm. you know, a new Edmund dynasty, mm. and he wants okay. to keep it going. 
I just worry about these successions. Well, you don't have to worry too much because, unfortunately, Edwin does not get to expand on his dynasty. Well, that's it. William of Malmesbury relates. <laughs> A certain robber named Leoffa, whom Edmund had banished for his crimes, returning after six years' absence totally unexpected, was sitting among the royal guests at Puckle Church. By chance, too, he was placed near a nobleman whom the king had condescended to make his guest. This, while the others were eagerly carousing, was perceived by the king alone, when, hurried with indignation and impelled by fate, he leaped from the table, caught the robber by the hair, and dragged him to the floor. Hmm. But the robber secretly drew a dagger from its sheath, and plunged it with all his force into the breast of the king as he lay upon him. The robber was shortly torn limb from limb by the attendants who rushed in. St. Dunstan had foreseen his ignoble oh. end, being fully persuaded of it from the gesticulations and insolent mockery of a devil dancing before him. Wait, well, he could have... Oh, dear. <laughs> that was me just putting my uh, a tea down. But he could have said something then. I think Dunstan was away from court at the time. Oh, helpful. Had a vision, and yeah. then was like, oh, I better rush to the king. I think yeah. he's going to be stabbed. Knew about that. Um, really bad from the robber. Very bad from Leoffa the robber. Mm. And it's a real tragedy for, well, Edmund, obviously. <laughs> for England, you know, Edmund is this young, bright thing, 20 years old. Early in his reign, he'd lost um, Northumbria and the uh, Midlands. The Vikings had swooped mm. in after Athelstan died. But in just a few years... By 944, Edmund had got all of it back. He also conquered Strathclyde, which is sort of southwest Scotland. Mm. And yeah, and you know, he's looking absolutely set to be a really great king. Healthy, unlike most of the uh, yeah. royal dynasty. Great soldier, well-liked, popular. He's got a couple of sons, all looking great, and then stabbed by a robber. Why did the robber stab him? Well, because the king attacked him. And he was a nefarious individual. It's crazy, though, isn't it? What did he expect to happen? He could have just played dead and he would have get kicked out fine. As it is, he was torn limb from limb. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but, of course, that means that, sadly, for Ethel Fleur Dameron, her time as consort was incredibly short-lived. How short? Uh, well, we'll come to it in longevity. We don't know exactly when, but yeah. the previous one died in 944. And Edmund has died in 946. Oh, no. That's... I'm surprised we know anything about her, to be honest. Well, indeed, um, she doesn't... This is a bit of a spoiler, but it's sort of relevant to her story. She doesn't have any children by Edmund mm. in this time. Uh, so as such, she doesn't really have any role once he dies. She doesn't seem to have been involved in the upbringing um, of her two stepsons, Edwig and Edgar. Indeed, they seem to have been fostered in different households. Right. Neither of whom are with her at the royal court. So she's a very, very wealthy widow, uh, of course, but doesn't actually have any role to play. She's not the mother of the heirs. She doesn't have any particularly direct relationship with them as far as we can tell. Mm, she's not literally do? not the Queen Mother. She's just the old Queen. Just the Dowager, yeah. Yeah. What's to do? What does she do? Well, actually, as it happens, she remarries. Huh? So when Edmund died, um, the children were too young to take over at this point, so mm. the throne instead went to his brother Edred. 
Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, he is the one who uh, seems to have had various digestive and teethy complaints, so he had to suck all the juice out of the meat before then stick, uh, spitting it out again. Oh, dear. Poor bloke. He deals with uh, Eric the Blood Axe mm, in Northumbria. So he's, you know, he's quite a hardy, despite yeah. his ailments. He dies in 955, and at that point... Edmund's eldest son, Edwig, becomes king. Mm. Just a teenager. But Ethelfled, at some point, remarries uh, a chap called Athelstan Rota, or Athelstan the Red. Mm. Probably because he's got fair reddish hair. Mm. Also, to differentiate that there are actually a couple of people at court signing charters called Athelstan at this time. So they right. need to be able to tell which yeah. one's which when you see the name written down. It's um, an amazing way of doing it. You know, um, brown haired. Rob. Rob, <laughs> yeah. Rob with brown hair. Um, now, Edwig, the new king, seems to be at odds with his younger brother, Edgar, and in particular, some of the old established people at court. Mm. The likes of Dunstan. Yeah. Edgar Fu, formerly the queen mother and now the queen grandmother to Edwig. Oh, yeah. Various other people who've been leading all of the monastic reform stuff. Edwig comes in and seems to want rid of these people and wants his own new young allies coming in, mm. being in charge instead. So he promotes various people to positions of power and to be earldmen mm. as a way of balancing out. And one of these is Athelstan Rota, who becomes the earldmen to southeast Mercia in 955, when Edward becomes king. Mm. Now, we don't know when Ethelstan marries Athelstan, whether it's in advance of this, Mm. and that's perhaps one of the ways he gets onto Edwig's radar, mm. or perhaps once he becomes an elderman, he's then able to make... And she's what like a bit of a prize in these negotiations because exactly. she's the yeah. honour of being the ex king's ex-wife. King's ex-wife, the king's the current king's stepmother. Oh, yeah, the current king's stepmother. And also, oh, yeah. of course, the very wealthy landowner yeah. in her own right, because her father's now dead. Yeah, yeah, I see. Uh, another man who gets promoted under Edwig is Britnoth. Yeah. Okay. So we've got both sisters married to powerful men promoted by Edwig mm. against the old sort of ruling class. Yeah. And it's interesting to speculate to what extent Ethelfled and her sister Elfled were involved in all of these shenanigans. Did they use their influence in some way? Perhaps Edwig had encountered Ethelfled and she was able to put in a word for Athelstan. Surely. They'd have been mm. mad not to. They weren't just sort of mutes, were they? They'd have they'd have fought their corner. And it's maybe again an opportunity for them to still have a role. Their father's died. The old king who would have been their close supporter well, mm. husband of course has died. Get in with the new king if you know that he's got enemies from the old people at court, chance to have a bit of influence. Yeah, she's got all the cards. The old lot was her side. Mm. Current lot are her side. Indeed. Um Unfortunately, we don't have any record of what she did or didn't do. Oh, I thought you were building up to this. It's just speculation, unfortunately. Uh, perhaps because for Edwig, things don't go very well. Edgar ultimately seems to win a lot more support than he does. In 957, the kingdom is split pretty much along the old Danelaw lines. Mm. Um, so Edwig, Edgar was crowned king in... Not crowned king. Edgar was recognised king in Mercia, also Northumbria. And a lot of the powerful types gravitate to him rather than Edwig, including Athelstan Rota and Britnoth. Oh, right. So despite the fact that Edwig had given them the... So what was wrong with him? Well, a lot of people, and we'll look at him a bit more next time, we'll be mm. doing his consort, 
uh, mm. next week. So we'll talk about him a little bit more. But, you know, obviously the main thing for a lot of people is the fact that he's at odds with some of the people in charge. And he's uh, young, a bit headstrong. So Dunst and all that boring lot backing uh, Edgar. Mm. Oh, I remember why I don't like him. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Edwig dies in 959 and then Edgar becomes king. Edgar the Peaceable. Because he didn't have any kids, Edwig. Edwig did not. No, okay. Still very young. So, Athelstan Rota probably dies in about 970. And we don't know when Ethelthad herself dies. But it might be around 975 or so because she leaves a will. Mm. And she's clearly an extremely wealthy woman, makes requests to lots of religious communities, particularly a lot of these reform centres like Canterbury, Barking, St Paul's, Ely, Glastonbury. Barking? Mm. Wow. There's a nunnery. Is there really? Barking. Yeah. Huh. And uh, also leaves a lot to Elfled uh, and Britnoth. So, she, you know, she goes on for quite a while after Edmund. Edmund mm. died in 946. Yeah. 975-ish, she's making that will. Yeah. It's good. It's just a very short amount of time to score any points. Indeed. And unfortunately, that is all that we have mm. to say about the life and consortship of Ethelfled of Damaham. But let's see if somehow she can pull something out of the bag. Battleliness! I mean, we've got that potential of whether she and her sister were getting involved in some of the court politics with Edwig and Edgar and all that sort of stuff, marrying Athelstan Rota, who gets promoted very, very quickly. Either she helps him get promoted or she marries him because of that. Maybe she's part of, you know, the back store. What's the word? Back exactly. channel. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really matter because clearly we've got absolutely no evidence for anything whatsoever. And normally I'd hate that. Mm. But I can't help but think that she, on looking at the situation, was definitely involved in some of it. Mm. It, it would be mad that she wouldn't have tried to say anything, do anything. Particularly, you know, the fact that she, although she is pretty much disappears from the official record mm. when uh, when Edmund dies, and indeed is not mentioned much even when <laughs> Edmund is king and she's his consort, but the fact that she does actually remarry and to an individual that becomes prominent suggests that, you know, she is still getting involved. She doesn't go off and retire to a nunnery or indeed just retire to her... Mm. You know, states that she might have done. She's still. I think also because she was um, such a wealthy woman who had inherited all that power from her father and all the land and the money. It's not like she has no influence beyond being the king's wife. And once the king's dead, mm. that's it. She seems to. I think people would have been asking stuff of her. Mm. So I think I think there is something there. The problem, though, is that we are just speculating totally and speculating. thinking that, well, I'm sure that this might have happened. Mm. Da, da, da. All that we've actually got is that she remarries someone who is promoted by the new king, mm. and it's a promotion that seems to be aimed at some of the other people at court, like there's a chap, Athelstan Half-King, that we'll talk about mm. more next week. But even if even if that is as a pawn just to be... Just to give the other that chap lot. some land, is that all that... It shows that she's useful or she's she's involved somewhere, somehow. She is involved. She is still involved. We just don't know quite how. Hmm. What do you think of a score? I think if we were to give in total mm. half a point, that would be all right. <laughs> so I'll go half a point. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't think, for me, that there's enough <laughs> to stretch to that half, which does mean... 
that she gets half a point for battliness. Scandal. I don't really have anything to go on other than what we've just said that maybe she was involved in something, but you know, I can't score them twice though on the same thing, can we? And at worst, her scandal is being involved in supporting the king against his enemies. Zero. It's got to be a zero for scandal. Subjectivity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's the problem that, again, the marriage to this prominent chap, the fact that she presumably is still at court and doing stuff, it looks like she may well have been an interesting, respected, influential to a certain extent figure. Mm. But we just don't know quite how. And thus, there's no evidence of good subjectivity. Yeah. And no. even, you know, in the Sir Timer's Consort, we've got absolutely nothing. I'm trying to scrape down something together. I'd, zero. I'm afraid it's got to be a zero. Hmm. There's just not enough information about poor Ethelfled of Dameron. Do you think that maybe she'd have bunged a nunnery a wedge or something? Bungton of <laughs> scandal or subjectivity. <laughs> well, either because she's got to find a score somewhere. Longevity. Well, for longevity, she Yay. has to score something. Yes, because she was the consort from at some point in nine four four. Probably we don't actually know mm. when she started. Uh, to the twenty sixth of May nine four six. We'll give her the benefit of the two, doubt and call that yeah. around two years, which gives her a score of two point five out of 20 okay which is joint 48th no no just 48th she's not sharing that with anyone else 48th overall out of 59 huh there's some murders to come then there's <laughs> some short-lived yeah. consorts but it's still not a particularly no. high score rubbish dynasty not the program well as we said for dynasty I'm afraid not enough time with Edmund zero children that is that is hopeless that is a score of zero uh, joint 40th mm. for that okay joint 40th yes how can you get anyone with less children than no children well, well there are quite a number of them on joint 40th oh joint 40th yeah. and then there's loads of people <laughs> with children got you yeah uh, all of which means that she has a total score of three points Wow, that's the lowest yet. That is indeed the lowest score in the series so far. But it's not all about the score. Does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, the great achievement and star quality that we call... Rex Factor! I mean, she Mm. was the consort for a time. (laughs) And she technically qualifies to be considered. She does. Not everyone can say that. No. But I'm afraid that's as far as it gets. That is as far as it gets. She's got a card. She's got a card. She's got a lot of land. We'll look at that um, afterwards. We're going to be looking at sort of legal stuff, and uh, we'll look at her her will in a little bit more detail. But other than that, that's not really enough, I don't think, to uh, justify awarding the Rex Factor. No, I'm going out on a limb here, and I'm saying straight away, No. I agree. Unfortunately, Ethelfled of Damarum, it has to be a no. Well, but she got an episode on Rex Factor. Yes, that, that is added more to history about her than we knew. <laughs> and that's the thing with this series. It's nice, and well, in all our series, that we do these episodes on each of them, even when there's not that much information mm. out there. Mm. 
mine all we can and they get their little moment yeah in the spotlight and if you're thinking of writing any historical fiction about the saxons then it's yeah. an ideal situation she's someone at court she must have been there she must have been doing stuff she could be made the perfect protagonist so Ethelfled of damaham does not have the rex factor but she has left us something else to talk about women and the law so because Ethel fled uh, is an heiress because mm. uh, she has lots of land uh, as as is her sister of course as well and she's able to leave her own will with extensive properties that's a fairly you know interesting thing in terms of the status and the rights of women in this period that they're able to inherit and bequeath mm. absolutely right yeah and and stuff and we've talked quite a lot about some of the limitations on well certainly queens yeah at least. so oh, so anyone who isn't a queen mm. well and queens would have the, these rights as well Oh, right. So, yeah, sorry. I'm approaching it from the other way. Like, they didn't have many rights. <laughs> You're talking about all the rights they did have. Mm. So, I thought we'd just have uh, a little look at uh, some legal stuff and rights of... Oh, you know how to tickle my buttons, Graham. Mm. So, we, as I said, we've talked a lot about limitations before. So, as I said, in Wessex particularly, there's this long-standing dislike of queens. So, none of the consorts we've had so far have at least definitively been crowned. Mm. Certainly haven't been anointed. Mm. with holy oil and it's only really um with ethelfled lady the mercians who married out of wessex and mm. was able to have influence mm. or edgarfu once she became queen mother that we've really seen yeah these women actually being able to have a strong independent role at court and that's still the case is it because actually not a lot of time has passed so far not a lot of time has passed so actually in a funny way we've gone back in time for the edgarfu episode because edgarfu outlasted yeah. of Shaftesbury mm. she hasn't outlived Ethelfled of Dameron but in terms of Ethelfled's time as consort mm. off goes Ethelfled Edgarfu's still there yeah and she said Ethelfled not even a saint at least Ethelfu of Shaftesbury got a bit of retroactive yeah influence but for Ethelfled why didn't they repeat the trick well she didn't have any children so there's no dynasty to be oh yeah because they were trying to bump up the uh, mm. Edward Edmund Edgar Edgar <coughs> Um, narrative, yeah. Mm. Okay. We also saw, particularly with um, Edward the Elder's first consort, another woman called Elfled, mm. how the Saxon marriage practices being particularly loose and... Uh, they didn't seem to be terribly official, did they? Relaxed yes. attitudes. Yeah. So you're saying they weren't contract. anointed. They were barely wives. Well, indeed, exactly. So kings could drop wives at will, pretty much, meaning that even maternity didn't provide security because Elfled had lots of children. A mm. couple of sons and still gets bumped off to a nunnery mm. and replaced with somebody else. So, as I said, they are almost reduced to being royal concubines. It's not quite recognised by church as necessarily official marriage, which means if the king wants somebody else, he could just drop them, take someone else on. Now, we do see uh, women represented in law codes. The very earliest law code in English is by Ethelbert of Kent, that we discussed last time because he was the one that uh, oversees sort of Christianity coming in when mm. Augustine came to him and his wife Bertha uh, of Bertha. Kent was yeah. big on the old Christianity. Perhaps because of that uh, Christian uh, and Roman influence, he is the one that provides us with the earliest law code and he's mainly concerned with preserving social harmony by providing compensation for personal injuries. He's uh, injury lawyers for you. Indeed he is. Wow. So he lays out all of the crimes against all of the people ranked in a rough order of importance. Women are just above slaves, basically, sort of somewhere near the bottom. Gosh. 
And in Ethelbert's law code, uh, women aren't actually entitled to receive any compensation for injuries that they sustain. Well, even on purpose by someone else? The money goes to their husband, father, guardian or slave owner, if they are a slave. And if they have none of the above? Uh, The king. Son. Son. King. Mm. So they're in there, like it is a crime to abuse a woman but she doesn't have an actual standing in society that she counts as a person to the extent of receiving her own. In the same way that it's against the law to beat an animal. Yes. But they don't have any legal standing on their own. Yeah. That's horrible. Now, this is quite early on. So this is the probably late 6th, early 7th century Mm. that we're talking about here. Um, But things perhaps are a bit better than all of this implies. In 1984, the historian Christine Fell claimed that for women at this time were near equal companions to the males in their lives, much more than in any other era before modern time. Doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like it, but let's, uh, let's look at why she might say this to be the case. When we have a marriage mm. between a man and a woman, husbands are obliged to provide a morgen gifu, which is a mourning gift. Uh-oh. Bride. Uh-oh. Explain. It's not a dowry as such, but rather an endowment given to the woman. So it usually will be land or it will be money. Right. Uh, but it's given to her specifically, not her family, not her father. It's not held in trust by the husband or anything like that. The mm. husband specifically has to give the woman money and or land. She can do with it as she wishes. Right. And that's protected in law. And that's there, that's in law. Um woman could have a marriage annulled for fraud, impotence or enslavement. Yeah, but if you're enslaved you're not gonna be able to get on the phone. Yeah, I mean, that's quite yeah, that's a bit of a mm. But nevertheless in theory. Yeah. Um and if this happens they are allowed to keep half the property and take the children. Oh wow. Has to be said that divorce is incredibly rare for the Saxons in anything other than cases of adultery. Yeah. Get out of it. Now, despite church teachings, um, which very much influencing the Ethelbert Lord Code that doesn't recognise women as effectively citizens in the state, but mm. just almost chattel, mm-hmm. um, actually, as the law develops under the Anglo-Saxons, they are treated as people with rights and with laws to protect them. So when Alfred the Great comes along, mm. and he introduces a law code, and he's got lots of very specific lists uh, concerning beating, killing, or sexual assault of women with compensation specified at all these various different levels mm. depending on their status in society. So it applies to slaves as well. well and, and this time they do receive the compensation? Uh, slaves don't. That will go to their master. But otherwise the women receive directly any compensation. Well, that's good, isn't it? I mean, still, if you're a slave... And the person you hate most in the world is compensated. Hmm. Uh, In 1008, so actually a bit beyond uh, the time we're looking at currently, um, Ethelred the Unready introduces a law uh, designed to protect widows from forced remarriage. So they had to remain single for 12 months, and then they could remarry if they wanted to, but they didn't have to, and they could choose within reason who they would be marrying. I mean, in reality, of course, the extent to which they've got a freedom of choice, as opposed to who king or father or whatever is dictating but in theory well that's good at least they at least even if it is just in theory the theory is sound and people Mm. and they know they're heading in the right direction now women were considered women were considered oath worthy 
which Ooh. meant that they could support legal claims by taking an oath uh, where they were supported by friends and family and they could bring their own cases. We saw Edgar Fu was doing that when there was that family of chap called Goda that kept oh, yeah. arguing about her lands. Yeah. Obviously, she's very much at the top of tree in the power chain, but in theory, if she's lower down, she could be bringing cases. Oh, this is good. This, this is, is very good. good. Uh, Christian Fell cites various cases of women uh, doing their own embroidery work <laughs> for sale. Oh, right. So okay. like as a business, in effect. Yeah, yeah. So they're effectively running their own business. In the 810s, Bishop of Worcester granted uh, a woman called Enswith 200 acres in return for maintenance and enlargement of the cathedral's vestments. Now, to be able to do this, she must have had a team underneath her of craft workers that's producing all of the vestments for the cathedral. Surely, yeah. So it means that she's actually running quite a nice little... And that 200 acres was to support there. that. Like, yeah. With their, yeah, put all mm. the workers on it. Think. And we saw with Ed Cafu again that women could witness charters. Mm. They're not banned from doing that. It's not explicitly male only, even though obviously it's vastly dominated yeah. by men. But women are able to witness charters. And indeed, they can receive land in charters, mm. as they do. Um, which means they are part of the process of the land and estates and property rights and all that sort of thing. Uh, as is seen with Ethel Third of Dameron, women can acquire property and they can dispose of it as they saw fit. They don't just hand it all over to their husbands mm. on marriage. Uh, and it's not just lands and estates, but it's lots of you know valuable items and goods as well. Apparently five of the six surviving prayer books had female owners. Ah. One of which was Elswith, Alfred's consort. Ah. So you still have a prayer book that she Because that's presumably a massive uh, asset, isn't it? They're, mm. they're so expensive. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, as again with Ethelflaed, we saw that if there's a lack of sons, it doesn't mean that the lands and estates go to a distant male relative, like in Downton Abbey. Mm. It can go to the daughters. And the women don't have to be married off to deal with the lands, though one suspects that that's probably what will mm happen a lot of the time but Ethelfled and Elfled were heiresses of their father they did both marry but equally in Elfgar's will which we're going to have a few quotes from it's clear that they are the main recipients even though they do marry yeah so here's some quotes from Elfgar a few familiar names that might pop out here place names I grant the estate at Lavenham after oh. our lifetime to my daughter's child if it be God's will that she have any unless Ethelfled wishes to grant it to him before and I grant the estate at Baythorn to my daughter Ethelfled, and after her death to my other daughter for her time, and after the death of both of them to my daughter's child, if she has a child. And if she has no child, then it is to go to St. Mary's Foundation at Barking for the souls of our ancestors. I grant the estate at Ely to my younger daughter for her life, and after her death to Britnoth for his life, if he live longer than she. If they should have children, then I grant it to them. If they have none... Then they granted to my daughter Ethelfled after their death, and after her death to Christchurch at Canterbury for the use of the community. What was the outcome? Uh, well, so Elfled, she got uh, the lot. second daughter, does get Ely because when skipping ahead again, but when Britnoth uh, dies at the Battle of Malden, he ends up being buried at Ely. Does he? He does, and then Elfled um, commissions a tapestry commemorating the battle, which I think is done. If not at Ely, it's probably held there. I think the tapestry is now lost, uh, sadly. So that's why Malden, they've got a new, they made a new tapestry like 20 odd years ago or something. I bet it's not, I bet it's just in a chest in, in the <laughs> deanery somewhere. But so Brithnoth was never shifted. He's still there. Uh, I think, I think he is still there. We'll have a look at that more when we get to yeah. um, 
him in a bit more detail. But I think he is there. I think they did find a skeleton that they thought probably was him. They didn't wow. have a head. The Vikings have that. Might be the Vikings, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to go and look. Equally, indicates, you know, the land did mm. go to the daughter. That's where the husband went. Mm. But it's notable in all of this. He's always starting with the daughter. Yeah. He then goes to the next daughter, or he says any children they might have. Britnoth is a kind of, you know, if both of them die. Yeah. But if they have any children, then obviously it goes to them. So, you know, it's not being put into some kind of trust. It's not going to some kind of guardian. Mm. It's going to the daughters. He'll often want, after they die, he's sort of stipulating it'll ultimately go to the church. Mm. But mm. the daughters are very clearly the First. main recipients. Yeah. First. Yeah. So, and see, I've just done a few quotes there, but there are lots and lots of places that he is granting very, very wealthy. Extremely wealthy, my word. Imagine mm. that now. And... Th- which we'll see again with Ethelfled, women can leave their own will and they can dispose of their goods and their estates as they see fit. Apparently one third of surviving Anglo-Saxons' wills were made on behalf of women. Hmm. Uh, Ethelfled makes extensive bequests to her sister and Britain off, but with instructions these were passed to religious foundations thereafter. Mm. I think um, is a process known as usufruct. Nice. Because she never has any children at all, yeah. let alone with the mm. king. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but her sister's will, because Elford makes one as well later on, implies that all of this stuff does happen. The lands are passed on uh, as intended. And mm. she herself takes the land and then ultimately, without any heirs, gives it to the church. So a bit of a quote from Ethelfled's will. Okay. Which is a nice thing in a way, because which we've not really had with the consorts before. This is sort of her, her own voice, voice yeah. her words. Yeah, and obviously it's just legal. Yeah. Legalese in the 9th, no, in the 10th century. Yeah. But, but it's the closest we can get. This is Ethelfled's will. Third person, revolting. First, I grant to my lord the estate at Lambourne and those at Chelsea and at Reading, and four armlets of two hundred mancuses of gold, and four robes, and four cups, and four bowls, and four horses. Give me the crockery away. Mm. Uh, my lord, I think that's probably the king. Right. At that point. Mm. And I grant the estate at Damerham to Glastonbury for King Edmund's soul, and for King Edgar's, and for mine. Mm. so still harking back to her husband cover all the bases mm. and I grant the estate at Woodham to the Earldman Britnoth and my sister for their lifetime and after their death to St Paul's in London as Episcopal, pro- Episcopal property and I grant the estate at Ditton to Ely to St Ethelreda and her sisters mm-hmm. and I grant the estate at Fingering Ho to the Earldman Britnoth and my sister for her life and after her death to St Peter's Church at Mersey and I grant the ten hind at Wickford to my kinsman Sibrit after my death. And to my reeve Edwin I grant the four hind at Haddam after my death, as it was settled in former times. And I grant to my servant Britwold two hides in Donyland after my death. And I grant to Ethelmeyer my priest two hides in Donyland after my death. That looks like the same thing copied twice there. <laughs> Maybe she's got more than one hide to, yep. in Donyland to bestow. She's got four. Indeed. And I grant the estate at Waldingfield to my kinswoman Craw after my death. Waldingfield? Hmm. Waldingfield. Is that up in Suffolk, do you know? Yeah, it could be. These are all places that you and I know really well. Yeah. I think in... Because I did see Elfled's will as well in Haybridge was uh, mm. on the territory, which was mentioned. Uh, and I wish that half my men in every village be freed for my soul. That's obviously slaved men. Mm. And that half the stock which I be distributed and that half the stock which I have be distributed in each village for my soul. I think that's livestock. Mm. So She's going to do well on um, subjectivity. 
Oh, we're not reviewing, are we? This is just this a, is afterwards, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is just a will, which is, you know, I don't know if we could really be, unless yeah. you want to go back and give points of subjectivity, but I think that's just standard. Yeah, standard but practice. The interesting thing, though, and why I've read quite a few of those out, one, it's just another indication of just how rich she is, of mm. how much stuff she's giving away. Uh, some of it land, some of it actual stuff, but also it's not just going to her sister in the church. We've got uh, kinsman Subrit Arive, her servant, We've got a priest, got a kinswoman, so it's not mm. just going to a powerful, a kin, you know, a sister, but lots of other people. Lots of people that are essentially under her. Mm. So she's got lots of land, lots of people that she's yeah, and down. She's clearly very wealthy and very powerful, even if perhaps in the official record and at court, maybe she never quite got to mm. be a big player, but she's still able to be incredibly wealthy. Yeah, and uh, a one wealthy woman giving without interruption from men mm. stuffing her will to another woman mm. good correspondence corner so that was all for Ethel said of Damarum and that was a little bit more about some of the uh, legal yeah. rights yeah. and things nice. for women in and we've got another society. cup of tea and another cup of tea if you'd like to get in touch with us as you said at the start on Twitter and Instagram you can find us at Rex Factor Pod you can like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com and go to rexfactor.wordpress.com read the blogs and complete the polls yes to please where people should get the Rex Factor and remember to send in your hashtag consort cards for your own playing card image for mm. this episode um, you know who, what I'm imagining this one mm? just a sort of quite anonymous a uh, Scrooge Duck person standing on a pile of money. A Scrooge Duck? You know, Scrooge... Donald Duck's uncle. He used to swim in money. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Although she's seen quite generous with her money. Mm. Well, you know. After she died. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you use, and subscribe. Yep. You can make a one-off donation to the podcast via PayPal. Always nice. On our websites. And thank you very much to uh, Carolina Besma, who has done that. Thank you very much. And if you want to hear more of our ramblings, you can donate monthly to join the Privy Council. After each of these main episodes, we do a Privy Chamber podcast. A little bit more relaxed. Tongues get looser. Mm. And depending on the level you donate, you might get access to special episodes, mugs, and Mm T-shirts. And book reviews. And book reviews. Mm. And we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome. No way. Danica Hignall, SJCG UK, Jess Ruzik, Mark or Masfa, Joanne Foreman, Fred Motson, Adam Ship, Ed Williams, LDH Home 53, Selena Nippling, and Atrus Marcellus. Thank you, one and all. That is fantastic. A few messages from some of our Privy Councillors cool. that have joined us in recent months. Ex Adamsk. Super looking forward to listening to all of the special episodes now that I am a prestigious Privy Councillor, <laughs> but especially the one on William the Marshal, Marshal, because after watching the BBC show The Greatest Night, I'm pretty sure that Ali will think he's as awesome as I do. That's the book I read, isn't it? The Greatest Night? Uh, this was an actual history documentary called The Greatest Night about him about William Marshall whereas you read because you definitely did do an audiobook review Elizabeth of Chadwick. Elizabeth Chadwick mm. Mm. it's not that okay thanks for all the awesome hands-free company you give me while crocheting oh well I, that, I like to know what people are doing when they listen because uh, I um, 
yeah, dull. I mean, you don't listen, but I don't uh, listen to other podcasts. To other podcasts, but I'm doing all sorts of stuff here. <laughs> the Lady K, thanks for providing such great research, commentary, and laughs. Long live the Queen from an American Anglophile. Oh. Queen Laura, I love the show. I'm hurrying to catch up as fast as I can, so finally, so I can finally go to your Facebook and Instagram pages. I've had to stay away to avoid spoilers. So very sad. I don't think it is very there's not much danger of spoilers I don't think probably more on Facebook I suppose yeah. it's the thing is that if the playoffs are going on yeah, yeah. you do have to stay away if you're yeah. not up to date because you will then find out who is getting the Rex Factor who's getting knocked out that sort of stuff you would find yeah. out overall Rex fans are a decent sort that are you know respectful of mm. spoilers and, stuff. and I suppose you know when we did the live episode Battle of the Champions that's a mm, giveaway yeah <laughs> Uh, can't wait to join up with everyone else for the new season. And Simon Ockwell, I shamefully spent far too long debating if I can smear the small amount to join the Rex Factor Privy Council, and it turns out all it required was finding out Ali gets drunk in one to sway me. <laughs> well, there's a chance there might be more than one, because <laughs> we did that Christmas special where the sherry was feather testy, mm-hmm. and, of course, our podcast After diary. the Oxford, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Ali being drunk... Mm. This is from Jennifer Lynn. Hi, new friends. Forgive me for only just discovering you. I already have a strong affection and write only to share some extra fun I've accidentally discovered. I play the podcast at a slower speed so I can catch more information. Ooh, a very fun side effect of this is that at 80% speed, Ali sounds pleasantly slightly drunk. <laughs> it makes this even more delightful and I recommend trying it out. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well, good. I mean, I wonder what I sound like at twice speed. Well, yeah. Like, sort of hyperactive child. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I'll stick with it. I, I'm going to stick with it as I am. Yeah. And everyone else listen to me at different speeds. Hmm. I was trying to do that bit fast, you see, to confuse people. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Matthew Hughes, also on the alley front. I have a burning question for Ali I wanted to ask. Hmm. When you say a lot, you pronounce it a lot. I'm not sure where it started, but once I noticed it, it seemed to happen all the time. Where exactly does this come from? I'm fairly up to speed on all the required background reading, Blackadder, Peep Show, Partridge, etc. And for months now, I've been racking my brain and can't find an answer. It's really annoying when you uh, lock into something and hear them say it all the time. I don't know that I do that. So if you, you I, because as soon as you said that, I was like, oh yeah, you do do that. If you say, I like it, Graham, I like it a lot. Oh, Yes. But that is the quote as and that well. that does sound like a quote. I don't know. If anyone knows, it's, <laughs> it's definitely not original. I've mm. definitely just... Yeah, uh, it is a quote. Quoting. It's deliberate. Um, oh. Scandal. Uh, I just don't know. It's weird. Good spot, though. A great spot, yeah. Uh, that's Matt from the Grim Reading Podcast. Oh. And uh, he also contributes to a blog called Odd Days Out, and they have got a feature he does on Once Existed, where they uh, basically, as he said, sort of goes to empty fields and take pictures of where villages and palaces used to be. <laughs> so there's one which is where Asa apparently first met Alfred the Great. Oh, fun. And you've got this sort of layout of yeah. where the palace used to be, but there's now nothing there. Uh, so this is it. It's an odd day out. Yeah. So you want to go and out. check that out. Mm. Becca Loxton got in touch about James VI, 
uh, or first of England, sixth of Scotland, first of England. Uh, interesting message about Shakespeare and James. She thought that he possibly deserved a stronger shout for the Rex Factor in the English series. But intriguingly, as part of this message, she mentioned that she'd heard from somewhere that James was scared of pigs. Really? So I thought I'd investigate this to see, because yeah. <laughs> I didn't call that when I did it. Apparently, Scotland uh, in this period had something of an aversion to eating pork. One of Ben Johnson's masks has James being assured that he will have no part swine and that grunters will be barred from his presence. Wow. And also, we have another thing, a quote relating to James. Three things to which James had a great dislike and with which he said he would treat the devil were he to invite him to dinner were a pig, a pole of ling with mustard and a pipe of tobacco for digestion. Yeah, I thought he liked smoking. No, he wrote an entire tract against the evils of uh, tobacco. Oh. Oh, that, poor bloke. All I remember was James. James There's one thing I remember, that man. He loved a ciggy. <laughs> Come back with what, 200 in a sleeve from... Uh, <laughs> Um, apparently in the 18th century, pigs were so uncommon in the borders that crowd would mistake them for the devil if they saw them. Now, I am not at all familiar with a number of animals, but never once <laughs> have I thought, well, this is so weird, it must be the devil. A pig? Apparently in 1724, a schoolmaster grabbed a sword and a Bible to tackle a uh, pig, which was uh, terrorising the community. In Scotland? In uh, Scotland. But it started up at his back and gave a loud grumph, which put him into such a fright that his hair stood upright on his head and he was obliged to be carried off from the field half dead. Goodness me. So that's quite recently. <laughs> it's quite recent, yeah. Do Scottish people hate pigs? Hmm. And didn't eat pork. But why? Couldn't quite get to the bottom of exactly. That's utterly peculiar. If you're Scottish and scared of pigs, then do get in touch and let us know. Uh... Now, we've had a few messages about Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. Yeah, right. Okay. Get my head straight. Yes. Um, some people questioning whether she really deserves to be included yeah, we've got in a lot this of that, series, or if she is included, whether she should be eligible for the Rex Factor. Mm. So Luke Miller, I'm confused why she got an episode. She's the king's sister, not his wife, right? Ethelred, her husband, didn't have an original Rex Factor episode, so I thought it was weird his consort got one. Mm. Matthew Constable, okay, not impressed with giving Ethelred the Rex Factor. Now, she was pretty awesome, but your justification for including her was daft. If she was truly eligible, you would have done an episode on Ethelred. You didn't, so she wasn't. All the way through the episode, I was going, it's okay, they'll say the same thing as they did in the Cromwell episode. <laughs> yeah. And I was flabbergasted yeah. when you didn't. So with Cromwell, we did him, because it's important, we felt we had to cover that mm. person and that story. But we said, he's not eligible, he didn't become king. Specifically, didn't become king. Ergo, hmm. Not mm. eligible for the Rax Factor. And with Ethelfled, she was technically never the consort to the monarch in Wessex, and the Wessex line that ultimately becomes England. Mm. Our justification was that actually, technically, England begins formally under Athelstan. Yeah. So you could argue that Alfred and Edward, thus, we were cheating a little bit. We, there was definitely an element of cheating but thus with Ethelfled she's married to the man that's effectively ruling Mercia and yeah. thus she is a consort and she's part of this story and she's the one that brings up mm. Athelstan who is the son of the king 
So there's a whole lot of ways in which he's sort of in yeah. that role. And obviously, because you know this series has mainly been looking thus far at women in the Anglo-Saxon period, it mm. did seem a good time to include her, having not done before. But it is she is an awkward one. You know, should we have included her as a pseudo monarch mm. in the first series? Does she count? She's not quite a monarch. She's not quite a consort. I think we can, it's a bit of a. As you say, there's so many different arguments to it. It can be argued either way. But even the and even if you do think we're just unashamedly shoehorning her into the series. She's brilliant. Oh, she's brilliant. That's the thing. I don't have a problem with us including her. I think she definitely fits in this narrative. Mm. Whether or not we bent the rules a little bit too much to allow her to have not an honorary Rex factor, but a Actual, she could win the play, yeah. she could win the show. Mm. And she could. And she could. Yeah. Well, indeed, as uh, Amy messaged in saying, can't see anyone doing better in battliness. She'd be a high score compared to most monarchs, so unless there's another consort who repeatedly was fighting and winning on the front line, she's got it in the bag. You can't give the triumphantly blood-soaked general who fought off Vikings a nine and then give a figurehead a ten. Yeah, that's true. Mm. That's a really strong argument, isn't it? But, on the other hand, Meg Thompson-Doll, I want to thank you for doing an entire episode on her. She seemed so intriguing during Edward the Elder's episode, and I was upset you hadn't said more about her then. She turned out to be even more fascinating than I realised. I can't imagine any weapon more terrifying than bees, and I entirely agree with her that going through childbirth once is enough. Yeah. Uh, maybe, though, actually, that's fan- it was fantastic battliness, but... That front line stuff, I'm just thinking about the person before's argument, mm. isn't really in line with battliness for this series. No, although obviously if anyone does do that sort of thing, they're going to get... Oh, yeah, okay, well I really feel like we'd... Good credit for it. I don't know how we can give her 10. Yeah, so yeah. Well, well, I think because we were probably judging her battliness score as if she were a monarch, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it was the fact that she was going to receive the submission of York and then didn't quite, and that would have been the, wow, that's a real massive yeah. thing that would have... So passed. we're actually judging her against men, mm. uh, monarchs. Mm. Oh, well, it's 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 inflamed debate. And it that's, has. That's fun. Uh, but she, I think it's been a popular episode, though. I think mm. people en- enjoyed hearing more about her. Mm. She's an amazing figure. But a couple of people have messaged in noticing that... Uh, a certain Mr. Ali Hood is struggling to remember her. Uh, I actually <laughs> can't remember her name now. That is exactly um, the point. Hashtag remember Ethelfled. She's got the same name as a woman we've uh, done today. Heather Thorvald. So who are we doing today? Ethelfled of Damarum. Damarum. Whereas Damarum, this is yeah. Ethelfled Lady of the Mercians. Okay. Heather Thorvald. Hi, Graham and Ali. Thanks so much for the great episode on Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. I was so glad you gave her the Rex Factor and that you decided she belongs in your official canon of consorts. As we said, you know, some people are pleased about it, some mm. people, you know. I look forward to her going head-to-head with later consorts, bringing some old-school battliness to the Rex Factor playoff rounds. Mm. I just hope Ali doesn't forget how much he liked her. Yeah, I think she's going to... Ha- I just hope that she um, faces uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine or something early on. <laughs> Well, you'll remember her. Yeah. Now, Michael Charlton has got in touch with some uh, some advice for you to try and oh, remember. Okay. Dear Rex Factor podcastites, I enjoyed your informative, entertaining, and, dare I type it, terrific podcast <laughs> immensely. But I've noticed that Ali has taken the recent turn of continually succeeding in forgetting Ethelfled's name. I don't know why this person's being picked out. I don't mean me. I mean Ethelfled. I guess because she's... A very impressive, you know, she got the Rex Factor, she's 
this amazing figure that we raved and I raved be, about. I can't remember any of them. No, but this one in particular okay. is one that people might think you'd remember. Mm. They don't know me as well as you, Graham. <laughs> May I suggest the following conceit as a way for him to remember her Anglo-Saxon appellation? Mm. Simply think of an old lady who ran away. Did she? Ethel yeah. fled. Yeah. Did she? The battle. Of? Ethel fled. Yeah. Ethel ran away. Yeah. Ethel fled. Yeah. Ethelfled didn't run away. <laughs> well, that's the, then I'll definitely forget that. <laughs> I thought if she had actually... She didn't flee. She did not. But if you're trying to remember her name, the first half is an old woman's name, as we might imagine, Ethel. And the second half of her name is Fled. Yeah, you so see... So if you're trying to remember it, an old woman running away. No, because I'm just trying to... Because now I, you're just picturing an old woman running away and thinking, I cannot remember which one this is. No, I was trying to think of the one that I'd, I'd go through thinking, which queen ran away? Mm. Grain, Lady Jane Grey. <laughs> no, she was killed. Uh, Who was the old one? The Queen Mother. Queen Mother. Queen Mother, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth. God, you're right. It's perfect. Well, thank you, Michael. That was a good effort, but uh, fear. We'll have to come up with something stronger. What about the other ones? There's all these um, the fairy people ones. Yes, yeah, so we've a lot of elves. A lot of elves. So we've had uh, uh, Elswith, which is Alfred's consort. Right. Elf fled, who was the first one. Now I the can elder. see problems arriving. Oh, here. yes, she's fled as well. Yeah. She has a bomb. Yeah. Uh, Edgifu of Kent, mm. who was the one that became the Queen Grandmother. Mm-hmm. Friends with Dunstan. Yes. Elf Gifu of Shaftesbury. Or Saint Elf Gifu of Shaftesbury. Easier to remember with the saint. Yeah. Ethelfled of Damarum. Okay. All right. D- yep. And of course, Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, the one that I can remember. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I bet you'll remember this Ethelfled, but not Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. Ah. Oh. Because when you looked at me there, I didn't realise you were setting me up. I was thinking, no, I was trying yeah. to compose, convert those to memory. But all right, yeah, I don't. I, I'll listen to Rex Factor if I need to remember. <laughs> well, when we get to the playoffs, I'll be sure to yeah. fill you in. Mm. Anyway, thank you, uh, Michael, and everybody else. Uh, but I fear Ali will have forgotten her by next time. So, yeah, yeah afraid so. <laughs> Think of something else. Next time we will be doing Elf Gifu. We have done one of those. We did last time Elfgifu of Shaftesbury. This one is just Elfgifu. She doesn't come with a place name. Okay. Th- to me, this is like trying to remember telephone numbers being told them once. <laughs> yeah. No, that was 07753218. What? Next time we will be doing uh, the next generation of kings and their consort. So it's Edwig's consort, Elfgifu. This, as a little prelude, people might recall of one of our favourites, Scandaly Stories. Oh, Dunstan at a coronation banquet. Love it. See you next time. Cheerio.